Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Thinking about healthcare these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Welcome to the show. Hope you folks are doing fine this morning. I've got a little surprise for you. I'm doing my show live from South Bend, Indiana, from their, quote, international airport, end quote. I'm looking out at the Delta and the Allegiant Airlines ticket counters in the business center here. It's all glass. I don't have an audience yet, but I'm sure somebody will wander in and listen. Otherwise, you're my audience, and I'm glad to have you guys. You say, well, Doc, what the heck are you doing up in South Bend? Well, Al and Ernie and I decided that we wanted to see a Notre Dame football game before we died. So that was on our bucket list. And Al and Ernie are avid, rabid football, baseball, sports fans, and they wanted to come up, and I did too. I just love it. I was here when I was a tweeny, about 12 or 13 years of age. It's been a long time. And we came to the to the stadium up here, and oh my gosh, it is a gorgeous stadium, just gorgeous. They have really done a nice job. We had seats right on the 50-yard line. We were three rows back. You could talk to the coaches and the players on the field. You were that close, and it was really something. And so Al and Ernie wanted to go up and see Touchdown Jesus. Now, Touchdown Jesus, for those of you who are not football or Notre Dame Catholic aficionados, it's a giant mural of Jesus on the front of one of the main chapels in the, or on the campus here at Notre Dame. And so we had to go all the way to the top of the stadium at one far end. And one of the uh, ushers had directed us up there. And I got to tell you, <laughs> it was really funny. We said, where can we see the touchdown Jesus? And he said, you have to go all the way up. They built the, the new stadium. They built that all up at the far end, at that uh, goal down that way. And he said, ever since they've done that, we've been losing. So apparently there was some blessings that were given by the touchdown Jesus to the team. And since they covered it up and you can't see touchdown Jesus from the stadium now, then the team has not done as well. Well, actually, they did really well yesterday. They beat the poop out of North Carolina State. They, they look tough. So here I am in the airport and you're with me. Well, I got a couple things I want to touch on this morning before I get to my main thing. I have to tell you that I just am utterly amazed, but not surprised, or should I say I'm, I'm utterly uh, 
a Twitter, <laughs> if I can say that, but not surprised that this whole Russian thing is coming back around to bite the Democrats in the you-know-what. And this, to me, is just proof positive of how arrogant and out of touch with reality these people are, that they thought they could pull these kind of shenanigans and get away with it and blame it on the other party. Well, they didn't count on Trump getting elected now, did they? So I was watching Fox News, and Sean Hannity had Greg Jarrett on, and Greg Jarrett's one of their reporters. And the laws that have been potentially broken in this Uranium One deal, for those of you who don't know about the Uranium One deal, this is the company that was, or that is owned by some Russians who have ties with the Kremlin, to the Kremlin, and they bought a 20 or 30% interest in one of our uranium mines here in the United States. So all this nonsense of, that Hillary was thumping and the Democrats about the evil Russians and blah, 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 blah. And they're doing business with these people. It's just unbelievable. So the, the laws that have been potentially broken include the federal bribery statute, federal gratuity statute, mail fraud, wire fraud, program biber, bribery statute, travel act, and the RICO act, the racketeering influence and Corruption and Organized Crime Act, this was passed in the late 60s, early 70s, that this has potentially been broken, too, by these, these upper-level Democrats who think that they're immune. And the good thing about the RICO Act is that even if you're the top person in the organization and you claim not to have knowledge of it, but the organization does something illegal, then you are responsible whether you purported to have knowledge or not. And the reason this was passed was because a lot of the dons or fathers of the mafia families in the 1920-30 through the 1960 era were immune in that most of the time their underlings would not rat them out. So the RICO Act said, well, we're just going to bypass your, your lower level people and go right to you. So if there was a, a hit ordered and someone was killed by your boss, by your family, then your boss is involved too because we know that he has to okay any hit, any murder of a rival gang. So this is a, an amazing statute, and I was so happy when this was passed in the late 60s, early 70s, and I'm even happier today. And you say, well, they're going to tie this up in court forever, and they won't go to jail. And they may not, but you have six or seven laws that have been broken, federal laws. And if you try each one separately in case you lose the case and they're acquitted and you can't retry them for that, you've still got six more or five more or four more. So the Democrats, the, the Clintons and their buddies could be tied up in federal courts till the end of time with all of this. It's just, uh, it's just amazing to me. I can't believe the hubris of these people. I, I just... I don't understand how they think they can just do what they want with impunity and uh, and then act like they're good, righteous, religious, holy people worried about you and me. They're selling our, our national interest to the Russians, our, our uranium. <laughs> oh, my God, we need uranium. That's how we make nuclear bombs. That's how we fuel our nuclear power plants. That's how we do research. Oh, well, what are you going to do? We'll see what happens. But we got to say thanks to Fox News for bringing that out. Now, we're here in the heart of higher education, so let's get educated this morning.
magnesium. I want to give you a little quickie about this. I didn't get to uh, go through all of this last time we talked about magnesium. This is a mineral and an element that's necessary for the cells of our body to maintain normal functions. And potassium and magnesium are the intracellular, that's, that is, they're inside your cells. They're the major electrolytes inside of the cells. Outside of the cells, it's salt or sodium and calcium. And this is how the body works. This is how cells maintain their electrical charge and how they discharge. And the electrical discharge of the cells is what makes muscle cells contract or nerve cells conduct uh, messages from one cell to another through the body up to the brain and back down. So we have to have this in the proper balance. Uh, there's certain diseases and situations where you may have low magnesium and you'll need supplemental magnesium. So we have to think about these things and talk with our doctor if we're in one of these categories. So if you're diabetic or you abuse alcohol or you have problems with your stomach and your digestive tract, for instance, you've had surgery and had some of your small bowel removed or you have Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, which are inflammatory diseases of the bowel where our own antibodies attack tissue in our body and we damage the the small bowel and then we're not able to absorb all the nutrients including magnesium. So if you have one of these diseases or you're taking a diuretic, a water pill for high blood pressure or heart failure or using medications like Nexium or Prilosec, you may be low on magnesium and Certainly your doctor is checking your potassium levels when you go in because if you're on a diuretic or you have one of these diseases or problems, then you're more likely to have a low potassium level and you may even be on supplemental potassium. But a lot of times doctors forget to check the magnesium and that's very necessary for cellular function and to keep our heart rhythm regular and our muscles working and our nerve cells firing off and telling us all the things that our brain needs to know. So. When you go see your doctor, make sure that you ask him or her to please run a magnesium level. Now, we know that low blood pressure, I'm sorry, high blood pressure can be caused by or added to by low potassium levels, and this is true with magnesium as well. And we know that heart problems like heart rhythm disturbances increase when we have low magnesium levels. We know that our bone formation, although our bones are overwhelmed, overwhelmingly made of calcium, we know that magnesium is necessary to have the calcium and the cells inside the bone that form the bone have them function properly. So normal magnesium is necessary for muscle and heart function, for our GI tract, our stomach, and our intestines, for normal bones, for normal function of our endocrine, endocrine glands like the thyroid and the adrenal glands and normal neurologic functions. We have to have adequate levels of this. And I've used this also in myself and, and in other people for nighttime leg cramps. I found it to be very effective. I take two to four magnesium, depending on whether or not I've been riding my bicycle and sweating. And of course, when we sweat, we lose electrolytes, sodium and chloride and magnesium. And this has helped tremendously with my nighttime leg cramps. This is something that happens to people as they get older. And some people have even tried using it for menstrual cramps. Now, I can't speak to that. I don't know anything about that. 
and I'm not an OBGYN, but you might want to try that as well. Mag citrate, magnesium citrate, is the best absorbed of all of the magnesium supplements available, but it's also one of the most expensive. I overwhelmingly use magnesium oxide unless somebody has already uh, got mag citrate, and then I'll say that's okay, go ahead and use that. Magnesium oxide is perhaps a little less well absorbed, but it's also much less expensive. So you can get this at the drugstore. Now, the mag oxide will be behind the counter, so you'll have to ask the pharmacist. You don't need a prescription, but it is uh, something that's potentially uh, volatile and can be used to uh, manufacture explosives. So it's kept behind the counter so that people don't run around and buy this off the shelves everywhere and start making some kind of device out of this. So I asked the pharmacist for the mag oxide. I used it 400 milligrams. And see if that doesn't help with your night cramps. Now, make sure you check with your doctor before you do this, because if you have problems like kidney failure, then you may not want to take extra magnesium because you may not be able to excrete it properly, and you may overload yourself with this. And also, if you're taking mag citrate, be careful not to take this with aluminum-containing products like Maalox. And if you have kidney failure or, or any other kidney problems, kidney stones, again, check with your doctor. And magnesium should be taken separately from your other medications two hours before or two hours after. And diabetics double that time because the GI tract is slowed down by uh, diabetes over time. Again, check with your doctor before you do this. And make sure you, you get a magnesium level checked every now and then so you can keep up on this. And come back next week for more health tips. I'm going to try and run a little bit of this every Sunday morning and talk about some of the supplements and minerals and vitamins that we can obtain without a prescription. So the main focus of my talk this morning is Islam in focus and, and will it or can it reform? I was sitting at lunch with one of the guys, Steve, he's a surgeon in town and he said, in his opinion, that the problem with Islam is that it has not gone through a reformation. And I'm not sure that it can go through a reformation, and I'll, I'll explain that later. But uh, I would like to talk about the possibilities and why I think that there needs to be a reformation, if possible, in Islam. As Steve mentioned or, or pointed out that both Christianity and Judaism in the 13th and 14th centuries underwent reformations. Martin Luther started the, the uh, Christian Reformation, and the rabbis started the Rabbinical Reformation about the same time. And a lot of the Old Testament, which Jesus, as I understand it, said was the old law, and he had come to replace that with the new law, was looked at again more as, as a historical and traditional document rather than as uh, the the law, so to speak, that the new law was uh, peace and love and you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. And so these two major religions underwent a reformation, and Hinduism has undergone a couple of reformations. Buddhism is an offshoot of Hinduism. The Sikhs are an offshoot of Hinduism. And so they've had their own Reformation of sorts, and it's changed Hinduism over the times, over the eons. This is one of the oldest religions in the world, by the way. It's really more of a collection of religions, but it's, it's a fascinating religion. Well, 
you know, Islam calls itself the religion of peace. Yet we saw, we saw or we see now just last night, 12 hours ago, an Islamist attack on a hotel in Mogadishu, which is in Somalia, and 29 people were killed during a siege lasting several hours. And I understand that there are radicals and uh, zealots in any religion, but I don't see, at least not in the past few hundred years that I've followed Christianity, I don't see any any such terrorist attacks being undertaken by Christians. Uh, somebody said, well, what about Tim McVeigh and Terry Nichols in uh, the Oklahoma City bombing? Well, actually, uh, Tim McVeigh was an atheist, from what I understand. He wasn't uh, protesting anything religious. He was getting even for Ruby Ridge and for Waco, Texas, uh, which happened in the uh, 1990s, for those of you who want to look that up. We do see some changes in Islam. We see that women are getting the vote, and there's suffrage for women in most of the Muslim countries now. I think even Saudi Arabia has given women the right to vote. And... That's certainly a good first step. I don't have a problem with that. But let's remember how this religion was formed. Muhammad and his followers forced conversion on the unwilling with the threat of death or enslavement, except for Christians and Jews, because they were considered people of the book, and it was thought that if they were exposed to Islam over time, they would convert. So the religion itself was formed not by peaceful means, although there were peaceful aspects to it, no doubt, but not by peaceful means. I mean, North Africa was uh, Christian for 500 years, and within a generation, it was Muslim, it was Islam. And that didn't happen because people grasped this brand new religion so wholeheartedly. It was because if you didn't convert, you might find your head sitting next to you. So... There was more than just righteous proselytizing or uh, preaching by Muslims. It was also, you do it or you die, or you'll be enslaved, or you'll be beaten. And I heard the president of Malaysia a few years ago talking about how peaceful and democratic their country was, even though it's predominantly Muslim, and they have Islamic law woven in with their other laws. And at that time, they didn't give non-Muslims a voting right. Now, that may have changed. I tried to find some information on that, uh, but I could not in the on the internet. So I don't know if that's changed. Probably it has. There's probably more of a push for universal suffrage, including non-Muslims as well as women. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. But the problem is, is that if there's anything that's contrary to Islamic law, then it cannot, it cannot be, it, because God is the giver of law, and the Koran is the vehicle through which God spoke to all of us, to the humanity, and this was through Muhammad, from the angel Gabriel, and interestingly, Muhammad had a seizure disorder, and when he was right after the seizures in what we call a post-ictal state, that's when he would have these visions of Gabriel, and Gabriel would give him the message from God. Now, of course, as I've said before, a lot of religious 
foundations were based on people who had psychiatric problems or who had uh, seizures or who had uh, other significant medical and brain problems. And that's not to say that that's good or bad. That's just the way it is. And if Muhammad were alive today, he would be treated for a seizure disorder and he wouldn't have these hallucinations. He wouldn't have these messages from God through Gabriel coming to him. So a lot of religion, a lot of the foundations of religion are certainly suspect and it's certainly suspect in Islam as well. You know, I've talked about Abraham and hearing God's voice telling him to kill his son. And if that, that were to happen today to someone, if they came into my office and, and brought their father in who was thinking these things and feeling paranoid and feeling like God was talking to him, then we would treat him for schizophrenia and we'd give him medication. We wouldn't let him take his son up to the top of a mountain and try to kill him. That's not going to happen. So we, we have to have uh, some, some balance in here that most religions... And that's not to say that what has evolved is wrong or was founded on the wrong ideas or the wrong basis. I don't, I don't mean that. I mean that the people that actually started some of the religions did this because of other problems, physical and psychiatric and mental, that they had, and not necessarily because God was speaking to them. So... On that basis, we have to look at how the Quran was written. It was written predominantly by the family members of Muhammad and the in-laws, and they were called the righteous caliphs. And so they wrote down everything that they could remember that Muhammad said and put this into the Quran, which means the recitation. And then the Sharia is the law that has evolved around Islam, and this was also put down or written by the righteous caliphs and their followers. And this has been enshrined as the law for almost all predominantly Muslim countries. So the law that Islam follows in Islamic states is, by necessity, God's law. And there's a fundamental difference between how the West and how Islam views theology and philosophy. In the West, we believe that we have free choice, and I've mentioned this before, and that we may have beliefs that we receive, or some of us think we receive from God or from the church or from our teachings or from our, our ministry or our holy books, but certainly we have free choice. We have the ability to make law and change law. And we do this, and that's what our Constitution is. And the word God is not in our Constitution because it's not a, it's not a religious or theological document. It's a, it's a legal document. It's a contract between the federal government, the states, and the people. And it sets up how we will function and how we will enact new laws and how we will change our Constitution if we, if we see fit to do so. Now, that doesn't exist in Islam. Islam says that God gives all laws and we interpret it the best that we can and we follow those laws. So what does that mean for those who 
don't necessarily believe in Islam and believe in all the laws of Islam and to those people who don't want to follow the Islamic way, to those of us who think that we do have free will and we're not just following God's dictates, although a lot of people feel that they live their life by what they perceive to be God's will and commandment, still, when they go to the voting booth, God doesn't go in with them. We have to vote on our own. And some of our laws don't make sense to people of the cloth. But there are laws, and if they don't work, we can change them. And if our Constitution needs some amending, then we can do that. And so can democracy even exist in Islam, at least democracy as you and I think of it? Now, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, democracy, which means Ruled by the people comes from the Greeks, and it was introduced by the Greeks in the 5th century B.C. And Abraham Lincoln summed it up that it is government for the people, of the people, and by the people. And God's not in that statement. And is Islam compatible with Western-style democracy? Our democracy gives us sovereignty over ourselves. And we feel that this is a God-given right, or a right of nature, if you will, if you're not a person who necessarily believes in a supreme being. And we have a government based upon the consent of the governed. That's us. It's a majority rule with respect for the minority rights. We guarantee certain basic human rights. Uh, Is it a perfect guarantee? Of course not. There's always going to be problems in any society with someone taking advantage of someone else because of different beliefs or different skin color or different gender. We also believe that there's equality before the law so that if Hillary Clinton has broken federal statutes, she'll go to trial just like you and I would. And we believe that there's due process, that we have a system where people can be tried, where they can be judged innocent or guilty. And we have constitutional limits on our government so that there's there's a way that we can check an overzealous president or an overactive Congress. There's ways we can change our Constitution. We can amend it. And it's a big deal, but it can be done. And it's done by two-thirds of the Congress voting for an amendment and then three-quarters of the states so that we all have a say in it. In fact, we have a double say in it. We get to say how we feel through our congressional representatives, and we get to say again how we feel through our state representatives. So it's a double-check system, and it works very nicely, if you ask me. So we have social, economic, and political pluralism. We have values of tolerance and pragmatism. In Islam, there is democracy in many of the quote-unquote democratic Islamic countries, but different from what we perceive. Islam cares about, purportedly, about humans and whether you're rich or poor doesn't matter, whether you're efficient or inefficient, whether you're of a powerful family or a low family, and it cares about everybody even before they're born, and Islam looks at the way the Christian world is going, Western Europe and the United States, with liberalization of abortion laws, and they say that how can you purport to say you care about human beings and human life when you practice abortions on demand. And I can't argue with that. But in Islam, 
one cannot ideally gain legitimacy as a ruler unless the people accept him. Islam does not accept any system which involves any kind of dictatorship. That's the ideal. Of course, we know that's not true. We know that many of the Islamic countries are under the rule of, of dictators and that they're, they're despotic governments. And we may have had a hand in that after World War II in our fight against the communist in the Cold War. We may have helped set up regimes such as that, but it's been there ever since. I mean, it's not something new. In Islam, the principles of the Western-type democracy, where we have sovereignty of countries and secularism and freedom of religion and speech, purportedly exist in Islam. Partnership and participation, transparency, justice, development, national identity, equality, freedom to choose leaders, all these things purportedly exist in Islam to some degree. Sovereignty of the governed people is limited in Islam and can be epitomized in the following components of democracy. Consultation or shura, the Prophet Muhammad with his companions regarded encountering enemies out of Medina, and these were Christians or Jews, and God said it is part of the mercy of God that you deal gently with them. Were you to be severe or harsh-hearted, they would have been broken away from you. So pass over their faults and ask for God's forgiveness and consult them in affairs of the moment. Then when you have taken a decision, put your trust in God, for God loves those who put their trust in him. So ultimately, the non-Muslims, that is the Christians and the Jews, atheists and polytheists were not even uh, considered human beings, they were enslaved or had their heads chopped off. That was a big problem when Islam reached the Indian subcontinent because Hinduism uh, is polytheism, at least on the surface. And so we see that at least in one part of the Quran, there is this message from God through Muhammad to be merciful with the non-believers, that's the Christians and the Jews. But ultimately, God has a final say. And God says, Oh, ye who believe, obey God and the messenger and those who have been entrusted with authority. The messenger is Muhammad. If you are at variance over any matter, refer to God and the messenger, if you truly believe in God in the last day. And, of course, whoever follows the messenger is the leader. Whoever followed Muhammad, and there's a direct lineage down, becomes the final say in Islam. And in democracy, in our way of governing, in our way of, of interacting, we make those decisions. God doesn't make those decisions. Now, God may or may not influence you in how you feel and believe and how you make decisions in our democracy, but ultimately it's your decision, and you're responsible for it, and you can't blame it on God, and you can't say that you're acting in God's name, when you vote for or against a law, you may believe that you're doing what you think is right, but under Islamic law, even in a quote-quote democratic Islamic state, ultimately it's God's decision through the Quran and the Sharia. And in that respect, we are 180 degrees away from each other because we believe in self-determination. And when I come back, I'm going to talk some more about this, and we'll go through some of the aspects of Islam. They're quite different from Christianity and Judaism and our ideals as a Western entity 
as to what is and what is not democracy. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. A heated debate is stirring in Washington over the FBI's use of foreign intelligence and the reauthorization of a law that lets spy agencies collect information on non-U.S. citizens abroad. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Amendments Act is set to expire at the end of the year. Lots of legislative proposals are circulating. They range from leaving the law alone to making big changes aimed at better protecting the communications of Americans that inevitably are swept up in the collection of foreign intelligence. Tens of thousands of students deceived by now-defunct for-profit schools may sue winding up have to pay back part of their loans despite a cancellation order by the Obama administration. The Education Department says it's working on a partial relief plan. And Somalia officials say security forces have ended a night-long siege at a Mogadishu hotel by five terrorists. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. Stuck in an expensive timeshare contract and feel like there's no way out? I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO of Wesley Financial Group. I've helped thousands of people get rid of their timeshares. I didn't realize what I was getting into. The whole thing was just a scam. I finally found information on Chuck, and he agreed to meet us. It was just a wonderful experience because uh, he knows that business inside out, and he actually wanted to solve our problem. I fought the largest timeshare company in federal court, and yes, I won. Whether you owe ten dollars to $250,000 on your timeshare, we can help cancel your mortgage. When you're approved as a client, I guarantee you a 100% success rate. We'll get you out of your timeshare eliminate your payments and get them off of your back permanently and we proudly hold an a-plus rating with the better business bureau call wesley financial group now for your free consultation at 800-786-9300 that's 800-786-9300 800-786-9300 there is a devastating disease crippling children disfiguring them leaving once beautiful faces marked with the unmistakable signs of leprosy, causing them to live a life of pain, shame, and isolation. Call American Leprosy Missions right now, 800-443-0838, 800-443-0838. That's 800-443-0838. Or give online at StopLeprosyNow.com. 
Windy and cooler today with sunshine and a few clouds and a high of 70. Clear and cooler this evening, low 51. Then tomorrow we'll have plenty of sunshine and a high of 70. Clear and cool tomorrow night, low 51. Then Tuesday will be mostly sunny and pleasant with a high of 77. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gigi Getz for AM 860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. That's 860AMTheAnswer.com. You can grab me anywhere in the world. If you have Internet access, go to our website, 860AMTheAnswer.com, and click Listen Live. Or you can go to my website, DrBillYourRadioMD.com, and click the Join Me button, and you'll join me, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time. Well, I played that song because I'm sitting here in the airport in South Bend, Indiana. Ernie and Al and I flew up here to go to a Notre Dame football game. That was on the bucket list, so we've got that checked off. What a game. What a beautiful stadium. What a wonderful campus Notre Dame is. Oh, my gosh. So I'm sitting here in the airport because I didn't have time to do my show anywhere else, and I'm looking at the Allegiant Air Counter the ticket counter, and I just had to check my phone to make sure that I would be on time. I don't have to check in until 1025, so I got a few minutes. We're talking about Islam today, and can Islam and democracy, as we know it, can they come together? And my analysis at this point is that it's going to be tough. Part of the problem is that when you have a theocracy and you try to turn that into a democracy, there are going to be people at the top who are not going to like that, and they're not going to let it happen. And, of course, if they're acting in God's name, and you're not one of the blessed, and you don't have arms to protect yourself, and they do, then you're going to have a tough time convincing these people to change. Islam is, by nature, by necessity, the, the ruling elite of Islam are people who believe fervently in the Quran and in the Sharia and what it has to say. And the question is, can it undergo reform? Can we have a reformation or will we see a reformation in Islam the way we saw it in Christianity and Judaism and Hinduism and a number of other religions? Well, you know, God told Muhammad, and this is in the, the Quran, the believers, men and women, are protectors of one another and they enjoin good and forbid evil. Okay, so... They decide, by reading the Koran and, and interpreting the Sharia law, what is good and what is, what is evil. And, of course, if you're not a Muslim, then you don't have the true insight into what is good and what is evil, and you're not one of the protectors. And so there's a, a first pledge of allegiance to the religion, and then to your state, as it were, whereas under our system of government and belief. Our first allegiance is to our government because without that, without the Constitution, there's no protection of our religion in our sacred books, in our sacred beliefs. So we have to put the Constitution above everything else. That's not to say that it is a more magnanimous or a more righteous or uh, a more holy document. Not at all. Not at all. It's, it's a shield. It's a protection. 
And so the basic civil rights that we have and we enjoy are because we have this constitution. And you say, well, they weren't always there, and we didn't always have all these civil rights for everybody. Women didn't have the vote. Black Americans were enslaved and didn't get the vote until after the Civil War and so on and so forth. But this is a work in progress. It's a work in progress, whereas Islam is frozen in that moment of time when Muhammad lived and received the message from Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, that God had this way of living and this belief and creed that Muhammad had to pass on to his people. And Islam purports to not be biased in any sense of the word, but of course it is. I mean, by necessity, it has to be. If you're a Catholic and you're attending Notre Dame, you think that you're going to be better than any other college and you're going to be better than any other religious group doesn't mean you don't accept them it just means that you have a natural bias of course why wouldn't you and so if the majority has a right that is freedom of religion then that has to be extended to all minorities and in islam it is extended to a certain degree but not to the nth degree because polytheism and atheism are not considered religious beliefs. So it applies to people of the book, Christians and Jews. In other words, the the three great religions that were started by Abraham, or at least by Abraham's beliefs that there was only one God. And so there are some fundamental and irreconcilable differences. And I, and I, I got to tell you now, you you say, well, it's no different there than it is here. We know that there's uh, injustice in the United States, and so there's injustice all over the world. Well, I, I was up in Canada last week checking on the Canadians, see how they're doing, doing a little trading with the natives up there. And I was at a gala ball for cystic fibrosis with some friends, and I was talking to two women who were from Iran, 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 however you want to pronounce it, so they're Persians. Persians are the Iranians. The Iranians are Persians. And they had emigrated to Canada decades ago. And they were both engineers. They were college educated. They had good education in, in Iran. But they got out <clears throat> in part because of the takeover by the fundamentalistic Ayatollah and the implementation of a stricter Sharia type law in Iran. And one of the women said that she had gone back about 10 or 15 years ago and that she'd never go back again. And she was extremely happy to have gotten out and felt that it was a very repressive society and there was persecution of non-Muslims. And so she shared this with me as someone who had grown up a Muslim. And then we're riding to the airport and the cab driver is a guy named Sadiq and he's from Pakistan. And I thought, hmm, you don't look like a Muslim. Are you Christian? And he said, yes, I am. I said, so you got out. He said, yes, I did. I got out as a, uh, as a, a persecuted Christian and was allowed into Canada. Canada and the United States have had special laws for people who are persecuted religiously or politically over the eons. And so Sadiq says it was terrible that the the Muslims would rape the Christian women in Pakistan, and the police refused to do anything about it because the Christian women didn't wear the headgear, and so they were not holy, and they were considered whores, and so they were raped, and there was no justice for those those women. So the 
Christians were persecuted. And in Pakistan, you cannot own a business if you're not a Muslim. You can have part interest, but the majority interest under the Sharia and under the, the Prophet's uh, Quran states that Muslims must be in charge in order to maintain the righteousness and to protect everybody and to protect God's laws. So there are some significant differences that are not going to be reconciled easily, at least not at this point in time in Islam. And so the rulers may be chosen by the people, which is also suspect in many countries, and they're chosen because the rulers are honest in Islam, purportedly, righteous, religious, sane, trustworthy, and the wise, experienced elite and that is the masses don't have enough information to understand how to govern or how to interpret the Sharia. And that is not our way, and that's not going to work. So if you want something done in Islam and you have a right to vote, then you vote for somebody who you feel is a righteous person that is righteous in the sense of following the Quran and following what Muhammad preached and practiced. And if the ruler is found to have committed immoral acts after his election, then he should be deposed, according to Islam. And one of the Islamic rulers even said, I have been appointed as your ruler, yet I am not the best of you. If you find me following the right way, support me. If not, correct me. Obey me as long as I obey God. If I disobey him, my obedience is not binding upon you. Well, the interpretation of what God says and does can be quite different from one part of the world to another. And I want to know who on this planet has a lock on what God has to say. I mean, I know people who say they talk to God, but only people who I have placed in psychiatric facilities have actually heard the voice of God. Now, you may say, well, miracles do happen. I'm not sure of that. I'm not a big believer in miracles, and I think that things happen in the world that are part of our brains that we feel and see and think and hear to such a degree that it seems like a reality, but our senses can trick us. And as well, we cannot prove the existence or the not-existence of God or of a metaphysical with the physical senses and the physical means that we have. We can prove that the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, but we cannot absolutely prove that there is or is not a God. That's ultimately a leap of faith. So you have a human emotion in the middle of this, and that emotion is not always right. Emotions are real. They're real, but they're not necessarily accurate. So we have to consider that when we have a religion that claims that it is the one and only and final answer, and if you don't follow it, then you're lost. You're lost in Christianity if you've been exposed to it, but you're not lost here on this earth if, if you don't accept it and believe it, you're lost in that metaphysical world of being able to go to heaven. Well, that's not true in Islam. I mean, you're not only lost in, in going to heaven, but you're also lost in having any power or say here on earth in how you're governed and how you're treated and who your leaders are. Ultimately, that is decided upon by the majority Muslims. So how do we reconcile all of this? God appointed, in the Old Testament, I think he appointed Saul as the leader of the Jews, the king of the Jews at one point. And the people said, well, he's not even as smart as us. He's not even as good as us. 
And God said, well, that's my decision, and you just have to live with it and, and accept that, and that's, that's the way it is. Well, the Old Testament's gone. You know, that's what Jesus came here to do, is to say we have a new law. And under that new law, we have evolved greater democracies than ever before. And we have great respect for the Greeks who started democracy in the 5th century B.C., as limited as it was. Yet it is the right to make decisions, whether those decisions are good or bad. And we have to live with those decisions that we make. And laws are the externalization of our conscience and our morality and our legality and how we feel about situations and acts. I think we almost universally agree that murder is wrong and that has to be punished. Those people have to be taken out of society. But there's other areas where we have disagreements and yet we're tolerant. We look at homosexuality and a lot of people feel that this is something we're born with and other people feel that this is an aberration and an immorality, but we're tolerant of each other, whatever our view is. And Islam looks at us and they say, well, you can change your constitutions based on the whims of your rulers and how they decide and what they want. No, you can't. There's a fundamental misunderstanding, if that's what Islam thinks, of the United States. You cannot change the law if you're President Trump or President Obama. You can change certain aspects of programs. You can have certain powers in certain circumstances, as in war, at wartime, a state of emergency. The president becomes somewhat supreme and absolute. But even there, there are checks and balances. But if we want to change our Constitution, it has to go through our Congress. It has to go through every state. Everybody gets to say how they feel about this, not once, but twice, because we vote for our Congress people and we vote our state leaders in. So, but in Islam, there's none of this. God said this, that's it. The Quran and the Sharia have decided that this is the way it is, and that's it. So there's no appellate court. You cannot appeal to God. In Islam, God is the sole legislator in whom the sole authority rests, while men, as a collective body, interprets these laws as God's representatives on earth. Not every man, but the men who are in power. And the Quran says, O you who believe, obey God and the messenger, and those from among you who have been entrusted with authority. If you are at variance over any matter, refer it unto God and the messenger, if you truly believe in God and the last day, the day of judgment. Laws in Islam are not made to protect the rights of one person or one people while ignoring the rights of the others. At least that's what the Quran purports. Yet we see this, as I saw with these two Iranian women and with Sadiq, the Christian from Pakistan. And I've talked with Christians from Egypt and from all over the world who have lived under Islamic law, as well as Jews. And they've been persecuted. And the government has not protected them. Now, in Islam, ideally, the leader is not sought among the people, but is somebody who is righteous and who is put forward because of their righteousness. It's not somebody who's running to become president or running to become a senator. It's somebody who has the 
quote, quote, righteousness and the ear of God and the right interpretation of the Quran. That's a lot of trust to put into somebody, into one person, and it leaves it open to abuse, obviously. A lot of the Islamic world thinks that in order to be elected to any office in the United States, you have to be rich. And Islam says, oh, that's not true. You can be rich or poor. You can be black or white. You can be anybody or anything, and you can make it. You don't have to be rich to be elected. You may need backers when you get to a level of, for instance, of running for Senate or certainly for the president where it takes hundreds of millions of dollars to mount a campaign. But even Trump showed that that could be done on the cheap, and he won. And there are a lot of people who were not rich who got into office and had had attained the highest office and had nothing really more than their their pay and their pension. And you can look at President Eisenhower, President Nixon. Uh, you know, there's just a number of, of presidents over the eons, Abraham Lincoln, who came from humble backgrounds and who really had nothing other than what they got paid and their pensions from the government. And they achieved the highest office and, and affected the world in a way that few humans could ever have done. Islam says that in present-day democracy, people are free to behave as they like, whereas in Islam, they're commanded to enjoin good and, for, and forbid evil. You are the best of the peoples, evolved from mankind, enjoining what is right, forbidding what is wrong, and believing in God. Well, guess what? If you don't believe in God, you're wrong under Islam. And this is a pretty tough rule that they have. In Islam, they believe that freedom and other principles of democracy are God-given. Well, we believe that they're natural rights, and for some people that means it's God-given. For others, that means it's just inherent in the nature and the structure of the universe. But in Islam, it's all from God. All authority in the universe lies in the hands of God. And a lot of people will say, yeah, I agree with that. The law has already been legislated in the Quran. That's it. It's done in the Sunnah, the Sharia. And that's regarding human relationships like marriage, inheritance, social issues, business contracts, judicial matters, testimonies, trials, punishment, criminal acts. And the Quran says you can also pursue research in the fields of science, and it encourages in astrology and psychology, and that's great. That's great. And Islam says, well, look, while the Europeans were in the Dark Ages, we had all these great scholars who were finding out all these great things and that we preserved the documents of the, of the Greeks and uh, the ancient people, and the, the Christians were destroying all these documents. Of course, that's not true. I mean, that's the... That's the hype that's been purported in the mythology that's grown up around Islam and Christianity. But don't ever think that Europe in the 9th and 10th centuries was in the Dark Ages. A number of areas were superior to any on earth, including metallurgy. So there's a number of areas in which we just cannot agree. 
Islamic model is that there is a circle called theocracy, and within that is a smaller democracy. In our model, we have a democracy, and inside of that is the theocracy or the beliefs or the religion or the philosophy that's protected by the democracy. So I don't know how we're going to do this without an Islamic reformation. I don't see it happening. And, you know, Bill, it's it's a tough situation, uh, uh, and it really breaks my heart, but I don't want to see the world go into chaos and and into major conflicts over over religion, not another religious war. Oh, my gosh, we've had enough of those. But we've got to keep pushing. There have been some, some changes in Islam, and we just have to keep working at it, and let's not give up. Let's keep our guard up and keep at it. And I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Thanks for being with me. See you next week. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525.